You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. The scripture reading for today is found in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15 through verse 23. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this, in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we can dive into your word. I thank you for Ephesians chapter one. God, I thank you for how it shows us what it means to be a Christian. God, I thank you for what it show, how it shows us what it means to be the church. And now, God, I ask that you will uh, prepare our hearts, soften our hearts for your word, that you will give us eyes to see and, an ear, and ears to hear. God, I, I ask that you do uh, the thing that you are capable of doing in, in the lives of all those uh, who are part of Meadowbrook and those even outside Meadowbrook that are a part of your church, the bride of Jesus Christ. Have your way with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the title of my message is The Three What's of the Christian Life. And really, I just want to focus on verses 18 through 19. Uh, we'll look at the other, the surrounding verses, you know, verses 15 through 17, and the verses that follow um, verse 19, verses 20 through 23, but, but I really want to focus and hone in on verses 18 and 19 with the time that we have today. Let me begin by um, sharing a story that comes to mind. I, I heard a story about a, a baby eagle who fell out of his nest and landed in a chicken coop, and the mom forgot about him, I guess. Uh, maybe thought he was dead, who knows. But the eagle grew up in the chicken coop and he grew up thinking that he was a chicken. He clucked like a chicken, walked like a chicken. Uh, all the things that a chicken would do, the eagle did, thinking that he was a chicken. He would look up into the sky and he would see these, these birds just soaring way above the trees. And he asked his fellow chickens, uh, you know, what, what were those things flying up above, above the trees? And they said, well, those are eagles. Those are eagles, and, and uh, we're, we're not eagles. Well, the baby, or the eagle, as he grew up, you know, he, he wished that he could fly like an eagle, not knowing all along that he indeed was an eagle. Now, illustrations fall short. Uh, they, they just fall short when it comes to trying to, 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 to use an illustration to help us understand who God is or to, to understand his word, but... but uh, but I, I, when I think of that story, I think of, uh, of the church. And I think a lot of Christians, you know, a lot of Christians are living like chickens in the chicken coop when they're designed to soar like eagles. 
Now, what I mean by that illustration is not that you can do anything you set your mind to. What I mean by that illustration is simply this, that, that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses and God made you, made you alive in and through his son, Jesus. Uh, those are the first 14 verses of Ephesians. That you were, <laughs> you were worse, than, you're worse off than a chicken. You, you were dead and God made you alive. And, uh, and so the, the, the book of Ephesians or the epistle to the Ephesians answers two questions for us. What does it mean to be a Christian and what does it mean to be the church? I said at the beginning of this sermon series that you, you, know, you can't understand what it means to be the church unless you know what it means to be a Christian. And you, can't understand, you cannot understand what it means to be the church unless you understand what it means to be a Christian. And so... Well, what I want to do is just, just kind of walk through these verses again uh, by beginning with verse, verses 15 through 17. And I'll just begin by stating this. <clears throat> Here are some of the truths uh, concerning what it means to be a Christian based on what we read in Ephesians. That because you are in Christ, you are a son or you are a daughter of, the, of Almighty God. If you're a Christian, you are forgiven. If you are a Christian, you are a new creation. If you are a Christian, you have a glorious inheritance waiting for you that will never fade with time, can never be destroyed, and will forever be untouched by sin if you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, your reality and identity includes all things made new, all things for your good, and all things for God's glory. If you are a Christian, the God of Isaiah, Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, is for you and he's not against you. He has declared, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my plan will be established and will accomplish all my good pleasure. And brothers and sisters, what you need to know, and I shared this last week with you, what you need to know is that you are the object, if you're a Christian, you are the object of God's good pleasure. In verses 3 through 6 of Ephesians chapter 1, God chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. In verses 7 through 12 in Ephesians chapter 1, God redeemed you through his son. He adopted you. He made you his own. And in verses uh, 13 through 14 in Ephesians chapter 1, God sealed you with his Holy Spirit to, that not just to seal you and not just the promise that you, that you have a, a better inheritance is coming. It's guaranteed that there's coming a day where, where he will wipe away the tears that stain your eyes. There's coming a day where you will not experience death. There's coming a day where you will not have to wrestle with sin anymore. There's coming a day when you will experience a resurrection. And there's coming a day when God will do the same with, with all of the earth, that he will resurrect this earth and make all things new. Like, all of those things are true for, for you if you are a Christian. But there's, but there's more here. There's more here. Like You are the object of his good pleasure. And when it comes to your struggles in living out the Christian life, listen, it has more to do with a lack of knowledge of who you are in Christ or an ignored knowledge of who you are in Christ. Um, a guy, a pastor by the name of Michael Reeves, uh, shared that in a sermon that I listened to early, earlier this week. That when it comes to your struggles regarding the Christian life, it has more to do with a lack of knowledge of who you are 
in Jesus or an ignored knowledge of who you are in Christ. All of what we have read in Ephesians and all that we've studied so far in Ephesians in those first 14 verses can only be true for you if verses 15 through 17 is true of you. <laughs> um, and what is verses 15 through 7? I mean, look at the passage here. If you have your Bible, I hope that you're, I hope that you're looking at these verses. Hey, that, that for this reason, Paul writes, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you Christians, the Ephesian church, and your love for all the saints, do not, ex do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. There were four, characteristics, four character traits that I uh, shared with you last week that uh, are true of the Christian that are true of, of the person who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who, who just don't know some facts about Jesus, but uh, know him, like in an experiential way. I shared that word with you, that, that Greek word, gnosko. Uh, I mean, the, <clears throat> it's epigonosko, and the root of it is gnosko. Um, in, in, you know, last week. And uh, I said, that's, that's, like, if you're a Christian, that is the kind of knowing of Jesus that, uh, that is true of you. Uh, Paul, Paul talks about the kind of know, that kind of knowing in, in Philippians chapter three when he said, I want to know him. I want to gnosko him. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in that way, in that way. So there are four character traits in, 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 these, in verses 15 through 17 that's important just to note that are true of every true and genuine Christian, and that is a faith in Jesus, not just a faith about Jesus, but a faith in Jesus, a loyalty to the lordship of Jesus. You know, I said last week, I said, right, what is lordship? Lordship is this. Jesus does not want to be your co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. He, he, he's not in the back seat. In fact, lordship is this. You're in the trunk and Jesus is driving. That's lordship. And then thirdly, a love for those who belong to Jesus. Like, like I said last week, if, you're, if, if, if you're mistreating your brother or your sister in Christ, if, if you're unwilling to forgive your brother or your sister in Christ, if you hate your brother or your sister in Christ, then something is wrong with your vertical relationship with God. Just read 1 John sometime, the epistle of 1 John sometime. Uh, so, so the third character, character trait of the true Christian is a love for those who belong to Jesus. And then fourthly, a pursuit to know Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that, you, that you've nailed all these things down. It just means that's the direction you're moving. That's the trajectory of your life. If you're a Christian, a faith in Jesus, a loyalty to the lordship of Jesus, a love for those who belong to Jesus, and a pursuit to know Jesus. And so, so now we're, just, we're set up for, for these verses and what I'd like to just share with you briefly before we get into these three amazing, three amazing uh, things that uh, Paul prays for here, that we should pray for ourselves, that we should pray for others. Before we get there, I just want to mention that in these verses, there are two types of knowing for the Christian. I made a big deal about Gnosko, rightly so. I made a big deal about Gnosko. Uh, 
you know, that, that, that to know Jesus, to know him in the Gnosko kind of way. I, I, said, I shared with you last week, like, uh, it's the relation, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word that's used for Abraham knowing Sarah is, is Gnosko. He had an encounter with Sarah in a covenantal way. It was more than just him knowing some facts about her. He had a relationship with her and, and vice versa. So I made a big deal about that. That's in verse 17. That the, 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 um, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the gnosko, in the knowledge of him. And, and so that's the, that's the one word. And then Paul uses a completely different uh, word for know in verse 18, and that's oida. It's oida. It's, it's, uh, what is oida? Oida is, it, it can be an experiential knowledge, but it's, a kind, it's the kind of knowledge where you discover some facts, you discover something, you learn something about something, and you are confident about that something. You know, but most of you, you know, that, that worship and gather at Meadowbrook have been here uh, at least since January. And, and, and if you were here during December, you, you remember the red chairs that we had. Some of those chairs were pretty... We're pretty, uh, we're pretty sad. Like they're, they're old chairs. I, I don't know how old they are, but they're old. And some of them were falling apart. But these new chairs, you've had the chance to sit in them. You know that these chairs will hold you up. I've not seen anyone examine the chair to make sure it would hold you up. You oida, you know that they'll hold you up. You have confidence that they'll hold you up. This kind of knowledge can be experiential, but it's also a cognitive awareness of something or something with certainty. It's the word that Paul used in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He said this. Now, now just so you know, I, I, 2 Timothy is his last, probably most likely his last letter that he wrote to this young protege, this young pastor that he dearly loved. And uh, Paul was in prison. He had shackles around his, his wrists. He had shackles around his ankles. He may have had something around his waist. Uh, his flesh was probably raw. He, he knew that it wouldn't be long before literally the Roman Empire would remove his head from his body by beheading. They would put him on a chopping block and they would chop his head off. And he, and he most likely had somebody in the window listening to him dictate this letter to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And this is what he says to him. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know, I oida, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him until now. Like, like, but this gospel work that he has called me to, and now I'm going to be leaving behind because when they, when they chop my head off, I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I know that for a fact. When they chop my head off, I may breathe my final breath on this side of eternity, but I will wake up in eternity before my Savior, my King, my Lord, and I will receive a crown of life. And so in the case of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, where oida is used, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, listen, you cannot, I don't think you can have oida in the case of those two verses, unless you have gnosko, a relationship with Jesus, unless you're, you have that kind of knowing of Jesus. Let me say what I just said in a different way for the purpose of clarity. The kind of knowing Paul is praying for in verses 18 through 19, by way of the enlightened eyes of your heart, 
cannot be experienced unless you gnosko, unless you know Jesus. You cannot have that kind of confidence of verses 18 through 19 unless you know Jesus, unless you know Jesus. In other words, there is no life-giving calling from God, no belonging to God, and no resurrection power from God apart from knowing Jesus. Let me share an illustration of, of, of the eyes of your heart illustration. Like, just trying to wrap our minds around. When Paul prays, he said, I am praying, I am praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, like, what, what, is that, what, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What, what is, how does that work itself out practically? I, and I know, you know, illustrations fall short. I, I get that. But the, but the one thing I think of is, is, uh, is my son's. We, uh, in regards to Nathan, our oldest, our firstborn, we prayed for a son. Or, well, we prayed for a child. That child could have been a girl or a boy, either way. It would have been fine with us. We were praying for a child. And, uh, and shortly after we started praying for this child, you know, most of, most of you know, like if you have children, uh, there was a time of sickness for for the mom, and Roy Ma was not feeling well. She, she was not feeling well. So we got pregnancy tests. We got, we got some pregnancy tests. I don't know. I think we got more than one at the local drugstore. Got those. She, she uh, took the tests, and they were positive. And I got to say, in those moments, when, I, when it became a reality, or was becoming a reality, that this child we were praying for was now ours in her womb, I began to fall in love with the concept of this child. Now, you know what happens after that, right? So then, so then uh, after the first trimester, you go and you get an ultrasound. And in that, in that ultrasound, you, see, you, you can see that there's, there's a life in the womb there. You can see a heartbeat. And then, and then, you know, as the baby develops, you go back for an ultrasound where you, if you, some, some people want to find out whether or not the child is a boy or a girl. Some people want it to be a surprise, but in our case, we wanted to know, was this a boy or was this a girl? And each, each experience, my love and my experience and my, uh, of, of being a father deepened for this child. And the same was true for my wife. And so we found out that this child was a boy and we named him, we named him Nathan. And we all along, we were praying for him and, and praying that God would circumcise his heart one day, that, he would give, that God would give him ears to hear, that he would remove his heart of stone and give him a heart of flesh, that he would see the gospel in a tangible way and experience the gospel in a tangible way through his parents and one day give his life to Jesus Christ. And, and so we pray for that. And you remember, like, if you have had children, you remember those moments where you could start seeing the baby push against, you know, the, the womb. And you could see the hands. You could see the feet. And, and some of you guys were probably wigged out by that. I thought it was pretty cool. And I would read the Bible to, to, to Nathan while he was in his mom's womb. And I would read stories to Nathan while he was in, a, while he was in his mother's womb. And then the day of his birth. And it was a hard birth. It was 11 hours of labor for her, and uh, it was not easy. And when he was born, they, they had to, <laughs> this is why, like I said last week, yeah, he, he was an ugly baby at first, because they had to remove him by force 
from from Roy Mall. He was stuck, and and so they had to use those suction cup thing and, and pull him out. I was amazed that you could use that kind of tr force on a on such a small life, a <laughs> child. And so they pulled they pulled him out, and he wasn't breathing. He wasn't breathing, so I, had to, I couldn't cut the umbilical, umbilical cord, so they rushed him into the next room to get him to breathe. And I was really concerned for my wife because she was injured, I mean, she was wounded, and, um, and so I was concerned about her. Well, they brought the child back into uh, the room. They brought Nathan back into the room, and he was crying, and they laid him on the table under the heat lamp. And once, once I knew that Roy Ma was okay, I walked over and I leaned over to, to, to Nathan and I, I just said his name. I said, Nathan, and immediately he began to calm down. And when I think of those moments and then when I picked him up and I held him in my arms, when I, when I remember that, that's what comes to mind when I read verse 18 with Paul's prayer, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's what I think of. I think that's what Paul's talking about. That kind of experience. It's gnosko and it's oida. It's knowing Jesus and it's, and it's being confident of who Jesus is. And so I just want to, like, with you, just unpack these, these three blessings that Paul prays for, for the, for, the, for the Ephesian Christians. These three blessings that are for you and they're for me. And the first is that is this, is what is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of his calling? Look at that. Like, it's so important that you see this in your Bible. Like, verse 18 so that you will know what, the, what is the hope of what calling. Does, it, does he say your calling? No, he doesn't say your calling. Look what he says here. Look at how he's very intentional, about, very intentional about the words that he chooses here. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Who is the his here? It's God. It's the calling of God upon your life. It's Ephesians chapter one, verses three through, through, through six. It's that calling that before God invented dirt, he chose you. He chose you before the foundation of the earth. He chose you. He set his affection upon you. That's not Pastor Key talking. That's the Bible. That's Ephesians chapter one, verses three through, through six. There's nothing controversial about that. He chose you, the God who's, no one is like this God. He declares the end from the beginning and, and he accomplishes all his good pleasure. That God chose you, Christian. He chose you. And think about this. If your salvation and faith is rooted in the call of God that predates earth itself, then don't you think that God is doing something in your life that is much bigger than anything that you may suffer on this side of eternity? Like, well, all that stuff that's happening in your life, I don't know what it is. I know some of you are going through some, some hard stuff. I know some of you are dealing with some, some, some significant things in your life. Uh, some of you are dealing with diseases. Some of you are dealing with, with broken relationships. Some of you are grieving over the death of a loved one. Uh, like I, I, you're dealing, some of you are dealing with addictions. I, 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 you know, you're dealing with some hard stuff. But listen to me. The God... Who, who spoke the galaxies into existence, before he spoke them into existence, he chose you. He chose you. He set his affection upon you. So Paul is praying that I just want you, I just want you to wrap your, your, your mind around that, Christian. I want, you, I want you to wrap your heart around that. I want you to wrap your arms around that reality. 
That is the hope of his calling upon your life. Paul elaborates on this very point in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now listen, listen to this. And these whom he predestined, he's talking about you, Christian, these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's talking about you. What is the hope of his calling? Romans 8.31. So Romans 8.30. Um, these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. The, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? That is the hope of his calling. God called you, therefore, listen, therefore he is for you, Christian. Well, what does that mean practically? Well, Jesus said this to his disciples. This is what it means, practically. But you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, other relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. They will put some of you to death. Peter, they're going to put you to death. Uh, Thomas, they're going to put you to death. Uh, James, they're going to put you to death. Uh, all of you except for, Jan for John, they're going to put you to death. And John, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. It's going to be hard for you. you know, some of you, they will kill, Jesus said. Some of you, they will kill. They will put you to death and you will be hated by all people because of my name and yet not a hair of your head, listen, not a hair of your head will perish. That is the hope of his calling. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, that's verse five of Ephesians chapter one, according to the good pleasure of his will. And he's for you. He's not against you. Listen, listen. The hope is yours because the calling was his. A, the hope is yours because the calling upon your life was his. You were dead. And how dead is dead? It's dead. And he made you alive in Christ Jesus out of his great love and out of his great mercy over you. The hope of his calling is rooted in this reality. God's, listen, God's infinite love for you, Christian, is as great as his infinite sovereignty. His infinite love for you is as great as his infinite sovereignty for you, Christian. Which leads me to the next point, which it gets, it's just, this is just great. Like, what is the riches of his inheritance in the saints? It's a statement. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would wrap your mind around, wrap your heart around, wrap your arms around, and hold it close to your person. What, the, what is the riches of his inheritance in the saints? What inheritance belongs to God? Look, look, look at this. He's talking about an inheritance that belongs to God. And that inheritance, listen, is you, Christian. It's you. Those whom he called you are his inheritance. God's inheritance are all those who he called, all those he predestined to adoption as his children, all those who have been redeemed by the blood of his son. 
Uh, I'll say it another way. The Christian is counted as God's inheritance. Like, yeah, it's true that the Bible teaches that God is our inheritance. Like we get God. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. You want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is you get God through the life that Jesus lived, the death that he died, and, his res- and through his resurrection. This is what Peter wrote in, in verse 3, verse 18. In chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Listen, so that he might bring us to God. Heaven, heaven's not heaven because you get to see your loved ones. Heaven is not heaven because you, you don't get to experience death anymore. Heaven is not heaven because, because you don't have to struggle with sin anymore. Heaven is only heaven because you get God. And he removes all the obstacles that, that, get, in, that get in your way to enjoy him forever. But in this verse, Paul is making an explicit statement. We are God's inheritance, and that is good news. That is good news. What, in what ways are we God's inheritance? For, for starters, we're told in the first 14 verses that God chose us as a father. He, to redeem us through his son, to seal us through his Holy Spirit, for the purpose of making us his holy, making us his holy and blameless adopted children with all the rights that come with being his children. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, like this is what we read. Like the Holy Spirit is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's possession. So, so in those verses, we receive an inheritance. We're promised there's coming a day we'll experience a resurrection. That's part of our inheritance. There's coming a day where, where we will not struggle with sin, where there's coming a day where we will not grow old. There's coming a day where all things will be made new. But, the, but, but we're his possession. And that's what it means to be his inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yeah, you are a people for God's own possession. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is... Uh, dealing with uh, sexual ethics in the, in the church among Christians. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So don't sleep around. Don't have sex with a bunch of people. I, I, you're, you're called, if, if, if you're not called to be celibate, you're called to be in a relationship through a covenantal bond relationship in marriage between a man and a woman committed to each other for life. To enjoy uh, what it means to, you know, phileo, which is uh, friendship love, which which develops into agape, which is uh, unconditional love. And the fruit of phileo love and agape love is eros, erotic love, in the context of marriage. It's a gift from God. And he says this, or do you not know that your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought for a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You're bought with a price. You're bought for a price. That price was Jesus on a cross in your place for your sins. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? We are. (laughs) We're his inheritance. Yeah. 
Let that settle upon your heart. Like if you were God's inheritance, listen, if you were God's inheritance, he will get what belongs to him. What are you gonna do? How do you pry what belongs to him out of his hand? Hey, how do you pry the fingers off of those whom are, who belong to God, the, the fingers of one who is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, the God that's described in Isaiah 46, who declares the end from the beginning, who will accomplish all his good pleasure. Like if we are God's inheritance, we, he will get what belongs to him and no one, absolutely no one or no thing, no demon, no power, no authority, no government, not Satan, and not even death will keep God from receiving his inheritance. Now, against the backdrop of that reality, wrap your arms around this, wrap your mind around this, wrap your heart around this, what Jesus said. He said, my sheep, in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, he said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Well, how do I know that I will never perish, Jesus? Well, hold on, let me tell you, Jesus says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says, and he continues, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. That's why I love Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Can anything? No, nothing, nothing. So if you belong to Jesus, he, he, you are God's inheritance. Then if, and it's the Father who sings over you as we read in Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. I mean, think about these words. Like literally, the God of all creation is singing over you. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. God sings over you, Christian. He sings over you. You are his inheritance. You are his inheritance. Listen to the reality that you are God's inheritance and that is rooted in God's infinite love that is equal to his infinite power and that love has been, is being, and will forever be lavished upon you. He's for you. He's not against you. Like mark my words, the one who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, will inherit his inheritance, period. Or maybe instead of a period, put an explanation point at the end of that. He will receive his inheritance, which leads me to the third blessing here that Paul prays for, and that is, I want you to, to, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will see this and know this, and what is the this that I, that I want you to know, Paul writes? What is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? Hey, Paul just puts words uh, together to just stress the, what, what kind of power that, that, is toward, that God has given towards us who believe. Like the third and final thing Paul prays for was that the eyes of our hearts 
would be enlightened for the purpose of knowing the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are, he goes on, he, does, he, he continues, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I like the way the NIV translates verse 20, that the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Brian Chappell, who's a pastor and a theologian, said this of this verse. He said, the promise of God's affection is not our only hope. Like the promise of God's affection is not our only hope. Paul also prays for the spirit to give eyes to see God's incomparably great power for us who believe the promise, is, the promise is not only for an inheritance to come, but of power, great power for us, for us. I mean, think about it. Who can avoid the power of death? No one. Yet there was one who conquered death. And, that, and you know who that is. It's Jesus Christ. He conquered death. God the Son conquered death for us and in our place. And then he was raised from the grave. And this power, this power that raised Jesus from the grave is, is this power that God has made available to us through his Holy Spirit. That's why you're sealed by the Holy Spirit and baptized by the Holy Spirit. And Paul wants you to know, he wants you to know that you have been that those who have been called by God and are the inheritance of God because of the redeeming work of the Lamb of God, that this power is available to you. He has declared, I will, like this is what Jesus meant when he, when he declared, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hades was uh, hell and the grave. Like, the, like the hell will not overpower it and the grave will not overpower it. Who, who, who can destroy the church when Jesus is the head of the church? No one. No one, hell nor the grave, have any power over Jesus' church. And you, dear Christian, are the church. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a helper. That's a promise from Jesus. And you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, as we read in verse, verses 13 and 14. And, and the reason for that is to empower you to live your life for Jesus, for the glory of God, and the good of all those who are merely hanging by a thread over hell. And the only hope of escape that they have is salvation through Jesus Christ. And God has rescued you from hell and empowered you to go tell people of the good news of Jesus Christ. To, to approach the gates of hell with the greatest news in the universe that there is salvation in no one else but the name of Jesus Christ alone. We are a walking testament to the power of God to change lives through the good news of the gospel and can claim with the apostle something that he wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's Romans 1 verse 16. It is the same power uh, that rescued us and now keeps us. And, and it's this power that we can know with confidence that uh, will keep us from, from caving, will keep us from throwing in the towel on our faith. 
Uh, listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Listen, it says, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen containers, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Now listen to this. We are afflicted in every way. So what does this power look like lived out? Paul tells us, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. This power is ours in Jesus. It is the power of the risen Christ to fight against sin, doubt, worry, and any other adverse adversary that threatens to undo those who have been called by God are the inheritance of God and have been raised to new life uh, by, by God. You know, you look at these verses and you know, like, uh, the hope of his calling, he, God the Father chose us. Uh, the, you know, the riches of the glory of his inheritance because Jesus the Lamb redeemed us and the power that is this boundless greatness of his power toward us is through the Holy Spirit who sealed us. This is, this is why I, uh, our strength is his strength and because of the truth which is now our truth, we can celebrate what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He wrote this while he was in prison. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. By, by the great and glorious day of his returning, by the day when he makes all things new, he will complete the work in us. Your job, you know, the loss of your job, the job that you have, that disease that you found out that you have, a, a failed relationship, a failure, a moral failure in your life, uh, like, like all those things, all those things that you can think of in your life, uh, reasons that the enemy would, would try to give you, try to deceive you into believing that God is disgusted by you. You can know this, that God, God is doing a work in and through you, and he, he will receive his inheritance. He will complete the work he is doing in you because he called you, because you are his inheritance, and because he empowered you uh, to, to live the life that, that, that he has called you to live. Just read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 sometime. I, I mean, th think about this. Like, like this, is, this is what he's doing. I'll, I'll read it for you. It is, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the glorious truths of these verses for your church, God. May we wrap our minds around them. May we wrap our hearts around them. May we wrap our arms around them and hold them close to us. God, enable us to see these truths with the eyes of our heart for your glory and for the good of all those around us. And if there's anyone, anyone uh, listening to this sermon who does not yet know you because they do not yet know your son, God, I pray that they would hear these words, that there is salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus the Christ. 
that, uh, that Jesus, your son, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that you, O oh God, raised him from the grave, that, that all who believe that will be saved. That will be saved. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.